turn to a surprise, turn to the book of Luke. We're actually going to be looking at something that we might have looked at a long time ago. Back to chapter 1. So I was sitting in the bullpen, basking in the sunlight, waiting for the game to start. When I got a call, our starting pitcher is ill. Warm up. You're going in. So that's why I'm here today. Uh, Pray for Bob. I was in a situation where I couldn't hear real clearly. Uh, There was some uh, raucous enjoyment going on in the Christmas season. One thing I did discern, though, he said something about some AFib. So uh, pray for him, please. Remember him. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Let me read these verses to you. Very familiar. And they touch on what we heard in, even in the sermon this morning. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit would come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's a very unusual setting, isn't it? Mary, an insignificant person in the scope of most people's experience, is visited with an angel with the news that she's about to bear the Son of God. But isn't this the pattern of God's dealing with us? Let me read to you familiar verses from 1 Corinthians in the very first chapter of that uh, epistle beginning in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's the history of the work of our God. So what takes place here in the Gospel of Luke and this enunciation 
should not be surprising to us. You remember all the way back when we started this study of Luke, one of the things we pointed out was his attention to the place of women. We have two prominent women in this story here. We have, of course, Mary, the mother of our Savior, and her cousin, Elizabeth, who's mentioned once again. But this whole thing just seems absurd. But the truth is, you can look high and low throughout Scripture in search of a story more beautiful than this of the Nativity, and you probably won't find one. Perhaps when you look at the resurrection, even in its ugliness and the greatness of it. But this is a beautiful, a beautiful portrait of the work of our God. We have the, in verse 26, the angel Gabriel coming from God to a city in Galilee. It's interesting, the angel bypasses Judea with all of its history. The angel ignores it and comes to a town called Nazareth. It's a place of about four to 500 people. It was so insignificant, it is not even mentioned in the writings of Josephus, that great Christian historian. Does it even mention this town, Nazareth? You remember among the disciples, Nathaniel said in the book of John, when somebody mentioned something about Nazareth, what, what did he say? Do you remember? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was a rhetorical question, by the way. <laughs> the answer implied was no, no. Nazareth was at a crossroads. A lot of Gentile activity going on there, few Jews. It was not a place of high regard. Besides that, what else was ignored by Gabriel? He didn't come to the temple. The place where the Prince of Peace was going to... <laughs> have a great ministry, the, the angel ignored that. He ignored those places and came to a woman from Nazareth. And what about Mary? What do you know about her? Listen, ladies, history says that more or less, she was about a 14-year-old young lady. Ladies, are you listening? <laughs> 14 years old. What were you thinking of when you were 14? Were you in love? Were you seriously in love? Were you about to get married? Were you thinking of having a child? All right, let's elevate it. Were you thinking of having the son of God, a child like this? Mary, a seemingly insignificant young girl, is visited by this angel, Gabriel not of much account in the world's eyes. She's a poor girl, comes from a poor family. She's not marrying into a wealthy family and marrying Joseph. <coughs> the greatest man, Jesus Christ, in Israel's history is coming here to the humblest of Israel's people. Our God is amazing in how he deals with us. When you look around here, there are not many of us really that are that elevated. None of us grew up in Asheville in that house up there that many of you may have visited this Christmas. That's not our lineage. But the angel comes to this humble woman, Mary, and speaks these words of truth to her. 
I believe Mary needed to see an angel to handle this news. Mary, you're gonna be the mother of the Son of God. What an amazing message this is. <clears throat> that she was blessed is realized quickly in what she writes later on. We read in verse 48 of this same chapter. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She knew her place and she exalted in this God who would come to her with such news through the angel Gabriel. Well, listen to his words, Gabriel's words to her in verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. This is a cordial greeting, a soothing greeting. Gabriel could have come thundering with words of judgment. He was one of the right-hand servants of God Most High, but he comes with soothing words to her. It's as if he said, don't be afraid. Greetings, greetings, I come to you. And he says beyond that, O favored one. That's the correct translation. The incorrect translation you may hear in other places is Mary full of grace. That is not the proper translation of this. This is Mary, the <laughs> favored one. It is not mistakenly rendered as though as one who has grace to give, but as one who is receiving the grace of God most high. This young lady, Mary. She is not the source of grace to others, perhaps only in the sense that she births the Son of God. And beyond that, the angel says this, the Lord is with you. What comfort, what a way to take away her fear. How much can you accomplish knowing that the Lord is with you? What can you do in the kingdom of God if those words ring in your ear? Well, look at verses 30 to 33 and look at the kingdom perspective with which he brings greetings. The angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's almost like he's repeating what he said in verse 28. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary has found favor with God unmerited kindness, not what she did, but what God is going to do with her, through her. This must've been a thunderbolt. <laughs> not only are you pregnant, even though you've not known a man, but you are gonna deliver the son of the most high God, whose kingdom is forever. What's the situation here? There's been years, hundreds of years of silence from the time of the last prophet to John the Baptist. Israel has not had a king for I think about 600 years. They've been in subjection, Babylon, Persia, Rome. And now she has been given the news that she is going to deliver the eternal king. 
whose kingdom shall have no end. Well, the thunderbolt here is, first of all, that she's going to have <laughs> give birth to a baby. Conception. One who has not known a man. Details to follow. Secondly, she's going to bear a son. It's a favorable thing in Jewish culture for a woman to have a son. They longed to bring forth a son. Of course, the father, with all that he had to do with it, was glad to have a son too. Someone to inherit, someone to turn things over to. This is great news. And then he's going to be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Yeshua. This is not an ordinary child. This is the Messiah. Believe it or not, Jesus was a somewhat common name at that time because Jewish women wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. They sometimes named their child Jesus. But in this case, Mary didn't choose the name. God, sovereign God, chose the name. And he said, his name shall be called Jesus. You're looking for the Messiah? It's as if Gabriel says to her, I'm telling you, he's here. And you're the mother of this Messiah. Can you imagine? This rather common name in some regards, but a terribly uncommon child to be born. Verse 32, he will be great. Otherworldly greatness is going to be in this child. This child will say things that will confound you when he's just 12 years old. This child will be obedient to you like no other child ever would or could. This child is going to grow up to be your savior. That's how great he's going to be. Well, beyond that, son of the most high. What's he saying? Before the world was created, your child was alive in the, in the spirit. He's of the same lineage as God the Father. He's of the same material, but he's going to condescend and be your child. What a great, what a great child this is going to be, son of the most high. What the angel is saying, Mary, your son is equal with God, the God you worship. Believe it or not, <laughs> you'd have to check yourself, wouldn't you? Is this really true? Is this really true? <clears throat> Remember what Jesus would later say. He that has seen me has seen the Father. This is going to be your child. What great news. And beyond that, what's it say? God will give to him the throne of his father, David. What did God promise David? In 2 Samuel, he said, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Brothers and sisters, God has never reneged on a promise never gone back. It doesn't matter that more years have passed than Israel perhaps wanted to before they would see this Messiah. But here, in place of the reigning king that they wanted is the king of heaven, the one who sits on the throne forever. 
600 years they haven't had a king on the throne because they've been under Babylon, Persia, Syria, Rome. But now the word to Mary is the promise is still alive. The promise is in your son that you're about to deliver. Look at verses 34 and 35, a somewhat restrained explanation of what is going on. <laughs> Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Remember I said details later. Well, here's where we get into that. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. <laughs> this questioning here by Mary, what do you make of that? What do you she was looking at him all the time, wondering when it would be obvious to her. Okay. There was no equal. This is not the questioning of Zechariah. Who's Zechariah? Father of John the Baptist, who questioned the Lord in unbelief, didn't he? And suffered silence till the birth of the child. What Mary is asking is for information. Now, mother taught me the birds and the bees. I'm a virgin. How is this going to happen? The angel gives her an explanation. What is it? It is this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, if you consider the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, his whole makeup is of this absurd nature, if you will. That's what James Boyce calls this. This absurd birth who is born like this? No one but the Son of God. But beyond that, his life, his death, his resurrection are all otherworldly. They are not of this world. And we need to fix our minds on that fact. This one who was born to the Virgin Mary is otherworldly. He is altogether different. He is unique. We need to know that. We don't need to know all the details in order that we might measure it by physical laws. God is not constrained to the physical laws like we are. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? He is not. <laughs> Ralph Davis writes something, good illustration about this. He had a friend who passed on a story of a newly ordained minister and his young wife. They vowed to be more considerate of one another. She promised not to be so critical of his sleep-inducing sermons, and he promised to respect her privacy and not go through her personal things. They were true to their words, though, <coughs> excuse me, and the marriage went smoothly. However, after 50 years, their children threw a huge party for the parents. They received many gifts, they were putting them away that evening and the preacher noticed that his wife had left open a drawer where she had some personal things. Try as he might, he couldn't resist. He looked in, he found three eggs there and $10,000 in cash. Puzzled, he asked his wife about this. Oh, she said, you remember years ago 
when we promise to be more considerate of each other and I promise to stop criticizing your boring sermons. Well, instead, every time you preached a real snoozer, I put an egg in the drawer. The preacher was rather pleased. 50 years of sermons, he said, and only three eggs. But what about all the money? The wife responded quietly, every time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them. (laughs) Some things are better left unknown, right? (laughs) I'm sure he was upset that he looked in her personal things. God's mysteries often happen. They're not to be explained. I believe they're intentional that he works in mysterious ways. One of the things we learn is that we are not God. This should lead us to worship. The incarnation of Jesus Christ and everything that's tied up in that should lead us to worship this great God who condescended to come into our world. Well, look at the subtle encouragement that the angel gives to Mary, verses 36 and 37. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Why do I say this is a subtle encouragement? What does the angel point out to Mary? Pardon? He's already done something. Yeah. Your cousin was barren could not bear children. Unlike you who are 14, in her older age, she received a son that was promised. I believe this might have been a gentle prodding that led Mary later to visit her cousin Elizabeth. I'm not sure. That's not in the scripture. And then he tops it off with verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Brothers and sisters, do you hear that? This is echoing the words to Sarah in Genesis 18, where we read, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard? You look forward to this uh, holiday season, this new year, you write down all your problems and I ask you, is anything too hard for the Lord in all the things we have to face? You know, this isn't an unfamiliar situation. Besides Sarah, we had Rachel who did not conceive as quickly as she wanted to. We have the example of Hannah. We have the example of Samson's mother. Uh, The only name I could find to her was wife of Manoah. (laughs) But she was not quick to conceive. Time and time again, we see this. But we also see that nothing is impossible with our God. Nothing. He is the God of the impossible. You think of the impossible life of this one, Jesus, who was about to be born through an impossible birth. 30 years of obscurity that culminates in three years, three years of gospel ministry. He starts out being baptized by John the Baptist, a sinful man spends time in the desert being tempted directly by Satan, goes on to live in the not-so-well-known place 
called Palestine. He does miracles there. He turns wine into wa water into wine. He does the miracle of the fishes and loaves. He heals leopards. He walks on water. He raises people from the dead. Nothing <coughs> is impossible for this one to be born of Mary. It shouldn't surprise us that he has an unusual beginning. And then it shouldn't surprise us that what follows is very unusual. Absolutely. Well, beyond that, what James Boyce calls the absurdity of all this is how it continues with the end of his life. He's arrested, he's prosecuted with no evidence and crucified an innocent man. But that's not the end of it, is it? That's not the end of it. He comes alive from the dead. Do you believe in a young earth or an old earth? Most Christians believe in a young earth, maybe six to 10,000 years old. Other people go back 20,000 and some people who believe in something called carbon dating or whatever come up with a million or more years of an aged earth. I don't care how many years you go back. <coughs> Excuse me. In all of that history, Jesus Christ stands alone as the only resurrected being. Jesus Christ alone. How unusual. How dynamic. How great this is. What a child Mary is pregnant with here. What a child. Well, look at her ideal response. And let me ask you ladies, would this be your response? Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So be it. You know, that sounds like it's a quick response, doesn't it? But I think Mary had to count the cost. Imagine with, with me, what would the cost to her be of this situation? Explain that she's pregnant to her. To, pardon? Yes. She had to talk to Joseph about this. Surprise, I'm expecting a child. What else? She may have been thought as one of ill Yes. Josephus writes that at this time there was not much stoning going on, but in the Old Testament, this would have been an offense to be stoned to death. She surely would have been put aside told don't come to the temple until your sin is taken care of. She, besides Joseph, what about her own parents? You know, what did we teach you in all of our upbringing? She had to have a good Jewish upbringing. She knows the scriptures. She knows a lot. She had to count the cost. Shame, possible divorce, because when you were betrothed to someone in this time, you might as well be married. You did everything except consummate the marriage physically. But in her humble submission, which is much preferable to, cons to uh, consolation, in her humble submission, she says to the, to, through Gabriel, the angel, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
What she expresses here is her complete and ready submission to God and his word. You think of all that took place here. This is an angel. You had to be, you know, digesting this, consuming this, getting it in your mind of all this. You had to believe that this is the word from God on high and that no matter what it costs you in this life, you're going to be submissive to God. Well, again, when you think of the new year, the things ahead of you, can you say that about everything in your life? You know, we don't know what we face, do we? We might face physical difficulties, financial difficulties. There's no telling. Death. Are we submissive to the will of God? All of those things had to play into this one woman's mind. What an example. Uh, Mary should not be hailed as one who is hail Mary full of grace, but she shouldn't be relegated to the attic either, okay? This is a delightful example of a godly woman who knew her God and was willing to follow him no matter what the cost. Any questions or comments? She had to be very mature. Yes. And, uh, you know, she could have been like Moses and said, oh, I'm not ready. Yeah, yeah. You know. She had to have great faith. Okay, absolutely. Was was the Holy Spirit common? Did Did Jews believe in the Holy Spirit before this? I'm sure they did. The Spirit came and went in the Old Testament in a number of places. Yeah. Well, talking about her maturity and and, uh, her faith, I think that reflects well on her parents. We don't know who they were to a great extent, but it had to reflect something on them and her upbringing. We know she came from Nathan, the son of God. Yes. Yes, the son of David. Good Jewish family. (laughs) So much more there than meets the eye. Well, I had to come out of the bullpen, so I just didn't. There's much more that I could have gotten for you. Can I say another thing? Sure. Uh, talking about the youth in her life, and 14 or so years old, brought blood thoughts to my grandmother, and she was 15 when she married. And she, uh, it was not far after the Civil War that she did get married. She was born in like the 1870s. But she was a godly woman, and she had 12 children. Her husband died with my mother, who was the youngest child, but she had at 44, uh, died when my mother was five years old, so she raised 12 kids on a cotton farm. She was the community uh, uh, funeral director. I mean, she prepared bodies for funerals. She was a midwife. She would live through the depression and she fed anybody that came to her door. And I remember her just a little bit. I was about 13, 14 when she died. But uh, I remember her sitting by a window because it didn't have electricity, reading her Bible and praying for her family. It's a legacy that I have. Amen. And I'm so grateful. Anything else? <laughs> I'm grateful.
grateful for it, Sylvia. You've taught me how to pray for my grandchildren through <laughs> your grandmother. Wow. Legacy lineage. Thank you for being ready to get out of that bullpen. <laughs> it's my privilege, really. The Lord's good. Uh, well, let me close in prayer. Our great God, we uh, acknowledge who you are, the God of the universe, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, whose birth we celebrate this week. Father God, we thank you that your ways are not our ways, that your wisdom far surpasses anything that we have. Lord, we acknowledge that and uh, thank you that it is manifest in the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, the power of what he accomplished. We thank you for the celebration of his birth. I pray that as we enter this uh, holiday season, continue through it, we would recognize that, give you all the due honor. Uh, we pray thanking you, Father, for people like Mary and Joseph who were willing to trust you. I pray that we would do that. We would find faith in difficult days that may face us in the future. Bless us for the remainder of this day and those going to worship. I pray that they render to you all that's due your name for your honor and glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.